You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Don't post anything on social media that you would not be happy to have printed out on a table in front of your employer to discuss. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Well, welcome to this week's Momentum. Once again, it is Tim and Dez with you, and we really appreciate you tuning in. MomentumAustralia.org, by the way, is our website. Love you to check that out after the show. Hey, Dez, how are you doing this week? You good? As always, I'm really good. Glad to be on this show. Yeah, we love doing what we're doing. Hey, you know, it's really interesting, isn't it, in life when we are bombarded by stuff all of the time, and sometimes it can be really hard to keep our hearts soft to the things around us. You know, we can all be somewhat apathetic about what is happening in the world at times and apathetic towards things that might challenge us and or our faith or freedoms. As Christian men, though, it is important, we think, that we are prepared to take a stand for the things that are important to us, our families, and our faith. And yet we find one organization that really takes up these fights in a legal sense on behalf of us in Australia, and that's the Human Rights Law Alliance. Uh, to give some insight on what they do and how we as men can stand up for our faith is a solicitor from HRLA, and we welcome Thomas Grover. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me, Des. Thanks for having me, Tim. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you on the show, mate. Uh, let, let's start out with a bit of a curly one. And for men listening, this might be a bit of a challenge. But, you know, we on Momentum like to put loving challenges out to our, our audience. Do you think that Australian men struggle with apathy when it comes to expressing their faith at times in certain situations? Yes, certainly. I think um, outside of the four walls of the church, uh, it can be a tricky proposition for a couple of reasons. Uh, I reckon um, one of them would be uh, a lack of clear instruction as to how, how best to do that. Mm. Um, and the other one would be uh, a broad sense that it's always going to be a costly thing to do, mm. to express openly what we believe and what our convictions are uh, and, and what our heart really is for life, for the world uh, and for the future um, and who we serve. Um, it's, always, it's always costly, I think. Yeah, that's so true. And, and you know, we as men, we shy away from these things. We want to stay comfortable. We want to stay within our comfort zone. And we know that if we go out and, you know, you see, you know, the Australian Christian Lobby Group and taking a stand on all the issues they take a stand on, I know you work with them. And so, you know, it's um, most men will shy away from getting into the sort of debates that they need to have to defend their faith. When you said, Tom, that perhaps we haven't been taught that, are you meaning from the church particularly as to how to express our faith and, and perhaps hold our stance in situations when society might be telling us something else? Um, look, I wouldn't want to speak for the church too broadly, but I think that the church, um, in terms of you know strong conservative Bible-believing churches, have done an excellent job in equipping Christians to express their faith in terms of one-on-one personal evangelism. Mm. But in terms of how Christians can respond to contemporary public issues um, and apply our faith to those issues, apply the, the word of God to those issues, I think there's a, there's there's more variance there mm. and less success, successful equipping of the Australian Christian male population to to go out and do those sorts of things. So, Tom, tell us a little bit about how you got involved, because obviously you get trained as a solicitor um, and you had the opportunity to go into public practice. Mm. And and here you are working um, in this great organisation. How did that come about? Yeah, it was quite an interesting journey. So uh, the HRLA first uh, began, as you alluded, we do a lot of work with the Australian Christian Lobby. Yeah, And the HRLA was originally a project of the Australian Christian Lobby back in 
2017, maybe 16, um, headed up by Martin Isles, who is now the director of ACL. Yeah. Um, and at that time, they ran a, a two-week legal academy where they brought in Christian lawyers and law students and, and basically coached them on some on important worldview considerations and also um, talked about, you know, what the religious freedom landscape is like legally. Yeah. And I, I went along to that having just finished uni. Yeah. I studied my law degree at uni, finished up, and basically went right there, did that. And it was a great time, um, but I didn't think I'd ever use it for anything. <laughs> but I then uh, went off to, went off to uh, into private practice, working in uh, Sydney litigation for two or three years. Yeah. In the meantime, while I was doing that, um, HRLA became its own separate organization under the, um, under the leadership of John Steenhoff, our managing, managing director. This was in 2019. And uh, then they needed a litigation solicitor in, in uh, mid to late 2020. And they still had my details because I'd been to the legal academy. Yeah. And so they contacted me and uh, turns out I had just the experience they were looking for. And uh, yeah, came along, with, came for the interview and the rest is history. Ah, fantastic. So in layman's terms, Tom, tell us a bit about your day-to-day and your week-to-week. What, what sorts of things do you get involved with? So I, I handle most of the litigation flow. So we're looking after all the different cases that we're, we're dealing with at HRLA. So it would involve preparing evidence, sending emails to different lawyers and to courts and tribunals about getting things set up, um, fielding some inquiries from new clients that might be coming in uh, to see whether it's a case we can work with or whether we can just provide them general advice, those kinds of things. So on your website at hrla.com.au, Human Rights Law Alliance, um, there's a a number of current issues that you list. So I'm going to quickly run through these as four of them. Religious freedom in the workplace, freedom of conscience, religious organizations, and number four is the risks of social media. So maybe we delve into the first one and let's talk about religious freedom in the workplace. I, I personally find this fascinating. Can you give us a broad overview umbrella of what that actually means and boils down to sure so religious freedom in the workplace is it it, it encompasses a lot of things um in in terms of you could apply it to just uh the the freedom to to engage in religious observances like you know if you're a strict sabbatarian not working on sundays or um you know if you're a muslim being able to go out to do your daily prayers but it has a broader application too in terms of what, uh, you, what you're allowed to express in terms of your convictions and beliefs in the workplace and how that can inform the way you work, which ties into freedom of conscience. Hmm. For instance, in the medical profession, uh, there's a great deal of uh, complexity in terms of uh, conscience and freedom of expression issues. Um, and they're not the only ones, obviously, but they're a prominent example. So can I ask, I've been a Christian for 23 years and I've worked in Christian ministry for most of that time. I don't know what the laws are. So can you express that for us? Sure. So they sort of fall under two headings. Um, one of them would be uh, anti-discrimination laws. And one of them would be uh, like just general fair work legislation or maybe some industrial laws between states and territories. But broadly speaking, um, it varies a little bit between states in terms of how much protection is given for the expression of religious beliefs. Hmm. In pretty much all the states, someone can't fire you because of your religious beliefs. You know, if, if they can't say, oh, oh, I didn't know you were a Muslim, didn't know you were a Christian, oh, now that I know that, you're fired. Hmm. You could do that in South Australia and New South Wales. That, I mean, there's that aspect of it. But then more broadly speaking, um, you need to, it gets tricky because it, it, if you express particular 
aspects of Christian conviction, the most the most hot button and prominent at the moment being uh, homosexuality and transgenderism. Yes. If, if you if you voice convictions on those issues that are at odds with the orthodoxy in a lot of places, mm. the challenge then is tying that to your religious belief right. in a court of law. Uh, That's the complexity of um, a lot of these kinds of cases that we run up against is that uh, the, you know, the, the response from the organization will be, oh, well, if, you know, if, if they were an atheist who believed that there were two genders, we would still fire them. And they kind of don't acknowledge the connection. You've got to try and establish that in court. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing that's happening in, in today's society, you talk about transgender, but, you know, all the things around COVID and, you know, mandates and all those sort of things, you know, Christians have had to take a stand not all have taken a stand, but you know, have taken a stand in terms of vaccination and mandates. And so, do you take up those sort of cases? Is that the sort of thing that you guys would do? Yeah, we have we have delved into the COVID arena here and there. The problem with the public health stuff that came out last year was that the so much of the power was delegated to the executive branch in making orders. Um, that would they basically given a, a blank check by the legislature to make these public health orders. Right. And the way it works is that in, in these kinds of situations, the courts are meant to serve as a referee to make sure that the executive is doing what the legislature has authorized them to do. And in this case, they were just walking in lockstep. Uh. And so there was, in most cases, very little for the courts to do in terms of actually fighting back against it. There were a lot of mm. arguments floating around about the Constitution and Biosecurities Act, Biosecurity Act, and uh, other bits and pieces of international law. And unfortunately, they're all not very strong arguments. So we've been able to help here and there, um, mainly in an advisory capacity, one or two cases, but the the capacity we've had to assist has been relatively narrow, unfortunately. Uh, we're talking with Thomas Grover, by the way, from HRLA. You're listening to Momentum with uh, Tim and Des once again. MomentumAustralia.org or hrla.com.au. A couple of websites for you to check out in the break, which is coming up soon. Thomas, I just want to go back to religious freedom, particularly for guys listening who are Christians and are working in a workplace. Before we even get to the point of having a job, just from, from a, a law perspective, can employers, uh, I suppose, um, prefer not to hire a Christian or someone with a, a religious faith um, up front? Can they put that on the what they're looking for or, or is that discrimination? Um, what I'm saying is if someone goes to an interview and they perhaps express that they have a faith or they can't do Sundays because they go to church or whatever, would that hinder them in the process? Is there a law around that? So there is a law that, uh, again, um, outside of South Australia and New South, and New South Wales, you can't refuse to employ someone because of their religious convictions. The difficulty there is, one, um, if it's particular convictions that they can't tie easily to religious beliefs, as I said before, that can be complex. The other problem with the issue of applying for a job is that you'd be able to prove that that's why yeah. they refused you. Right. If you were to set to um, uh, to have, a, have a, a chain of correspondence, for instance, where the, the employer was... Uh, a chain of emails where the employer was very keen on hiring you and then you mentioned among other things perhaps that you had this faith and then suddenly they went really cold on it then you might have a case in court um, but it would be difficult otherwise to prove that yeah so just one other thought for men listening um, so I'm, I'm going to recall the story and I, I won't obviously mention names or, or tv stations but there was a, a girl who I went to church with 
and she worked for a particular um, TV station and um, she was a very uh, passionate Christian and fully believed that the Lord had opened the door for her to step into this role that she was stepping into. And she happened to mention that to one of the people in the organization. And I know that that hurt her as to how far she went in that organization. Um, so for, for, I suppose, just for some some basic thoughts on a day-to-day basis, for those men listening who have a faith, we obviously don't want to shy away from expressing that. Neither do we want to be labeled the religious nut or the religious freak in the organization either. So what, what do you think is a healthy balance when we're in perhaps a non-Christian workplace that we don't want to shy away from expressing that we've been to church on Sunday or we believe these things, but neither do we want to put ourselves offside from other people? Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. And we hear stories like that all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think it, you just need, there's, there's certain biblical principles that need to be applied and how they are applied is a matter of individual conscience, but um, it comes to issues of uh, being in, in Matthew 10, uh, Jesus said to his disciples as he was sending them out, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm. Yeah, but there's other places where it talks about in Proverbs, it talks about how the righteous are bold as a lion. Yeah. And so if, if you, if you apply those different things across, we need to be innocent as doves, which means that we cannot deny Christ. We can't yes. shy away yes. from the truth of what we believe. Um, we need to be wise as serpents and we need to count the cost of being open in particular context and what that's going to do. And that doesn't mean you don't do it. It means that you, you understand what you're walking into and you understand, particularly for Christian men who are, um, who have responsibility for uh, providing for our, for our household. Um, you know, it says in, uh, I think one of the letters of Timothy, that if a man doesn't provide for his household, he's denied the faith, faith worth as worse than an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Men need to keep that in mind in terms of if I voice this and it jeopardizes my career, I need to have a plan yes. for how I'm looking after my family. Mm, yes, and, so, and, and and obviously that can be used as an excuse to just shut up and never talk, and that's not what I'm advocating, but these principles need to be applied in a wise way. Uh, and, we need to, and we need to be bold. We need to be have, have, allow people to understand fundamentally our allegiance is to Christ. Mm. I, I love that. I love that the, the fact that you're guiding men through that, and that's, you know, they, they do need to have a plan. You're absolutely spot on, and I think that's great advice to Christian men. But we talked earlier about the religious freedom, and you commented on the fact that it flowed into the freedom of conscience. Talk about that, the link between those two, if you could. So freedom of conscience uh, I mean, this this was an issue that really rose up a lot in the uh, in the COVID stuff. So, freedom of conscience is the freedom to to do what you believe is right and to not do what you believe is wrong. Yeah. Um, so, uh, probably the, the the best, as I as I mentioned before, the best workplace example that I can think of is the medical profession. Yeah. Where um, so much that is evil is going on in there at the moment in terms of uh, fast tracking. Um, a trend of transgender identification and surgery and all those kinds of things. Um, and uh, it's an, it, obviously the abortion industry is medical in its nature. So people who are involved in those kinds of industries who are Christian to Christian convictions um, don't want to take part in those deeds of darkness, um, but they face issues in those contexts as to if you're going to be part of this profession, you, you have to, or, or doctors who might not want to prescribe COVID vaccines 
that's where freedom of conscience comes to the fore. It sounds like that's a very, very, when I say a blurred line, I mean, everybody's conscience to some degree is different. Uh, and again, certain people will have convictions around certain things that others won't. So f- from a legal perspective, Tom, how do you how do you walk that tightrope when it comes to freedom of conscience? Yeah, um, freedom of conscience is a, is a tricky thing in terms of its protection in law, certainly. Um, I think uh, in terms of us helping people who are trying to rely on freedom of conscience, it really depends whether you make a um, convincing, so we're helping somebody in a case Hmm. to get evidence from that person that they actually believe in these conscientious objections Hmm. and then putting it on for show for some other reason. Um, That's, that's what we really need to push. But in terms of like laws in Australia saying you can't coerce someone to go against their conscience, they they don't exist. It's not like, uh, and in other, in other areas like freedom of speech, freedom of expression, we're different to the United States. We don't have big fundamental constitutional protections that just protect everybody across the board. Yeah. Hmm. It's something that the federal or state legislature can put in place if they want to, but in most cases they haven't. We're going to take a short break and come back and perhaps um, look at some of the cases, Tom, that you've been working on recently and just give people an idea of what this may look like. And maybe they can relate to this and, and um, you know, see that, oh, actually, maybe I need to reach out to these guys and get some help. <laughs> uh, we're chatting with Tom Grover from the HRLA. That's the Human Rights Law Alliance. HRLA.com.au is their website. We're going to take a short break and be back with the second part of Momentum on the other side of this. In the meantime, check out our website too, Momentum Australia. We'll be back soon. You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Well, welcome back to Momentum uh, all around Australia. I really appreciate you tuning in. It's Tim and Dave's back with you. And uh, MomentumAustralia.org is our website. And uh, Human Rights Law Alliance is uh, what we're referencing today. Uh, Solicitor Thomas Grover is our special guest. Uh, Their website is hrla.org.au. Encourage you to check out uh, a bit about what they do. We're going to hear actually some of the cases that they've been involved in recently. Thomas, let's cut to some of the things that um, gives gives the guys listening right now some idea of what you get up to. And, and, And this might relate to some of them. Maybe they can relate to some of the stories we're about to get into and go, oh, okay, um, I've been putting up with this, and, and this might just help me out. So, uh, one of the cases you've been dealing with is a guy called Andrew, and the case was regarding freedom of religion on a university campus. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so basically, what happened uh, in, in Andrew's case—that's that one's been uh, resolved. We managed to get that one sorted without having to get into in-depth litigation, which is which is great. But what happened with Andrew was that he uh, was on his university campus, and I uh, was talking with. A fellow student, and uh, the, the student um, was communicating that they were going through some bit of stress, and uh, he offered to pray for them. Hmm. And uh, and they said, "Yeah, that's fine." And so he he prayed for them at that time. Later on, uh, Andrew was asked what his views were on homosexuality, and he provided uh, a Christian response on that issue. Um, and he was later. Uh, basically reported to the university by this this same student who he prayed for and who were then asked this question, um, basically saying that he had made this other student feel unsafe uh, for communicating um, because of, of something they'd done. I can't remember whether they specifically alleged that it was the prayer or his views, uh, mm. whether it just kept it vague, but they said he was making them unsafe. And so he was basically marched off campus um, and, wow. uh, and, and, submitted, and submitted to a, uh, a disciplinary process of of some kind, not like a professional one, but they have 
these kinds of things in place at universities. Um, yeah, purely because he had prayed for someone and expressed his views on a controversial issue. So was Andrew a fellow student or was he part of staff or? No, fellow, fellow student. Wow. Right. And wow. so when you say that got resolved, Tom, uh, he was allowed to continue studying. Did he even want to go back after that? Because, I mean, I'd have reservations about, you know, going back. Totally. But, I mean, when it comes to university, you, you've invested a certain amount in study. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I certainly would understand if he's happy to go back. And I certainly understand that he wouldn't want to go back. Mm. Fortunately, we managed to wrap that up without having to really get um, into the fight for that, which was which was fortunate. But I guess the message is that we as Christians need to be very careful about how we approach subjects. And and I guess most people, if they if you say, do you want me to pray for you? If they say yes, well, I mean, that's, they're given the opportunity to do that. But other views, you know, uh, we have to be careful how we present those. Yeah. Yeah. And on university campuses, I mean, there's been so much discussion on this issue and I certainly couldn't do it justice, but the culture in universities in yeah. Australia is uh, becoming increasingly intolerant. Yeah. Um, which is ironic in the, in the centers of learning yes. where, where controversial ideas and different points of view are supposed to be banded around. Yeah. Mm. It's increasing and becoming not that way. Yeah. You, you have to toe the line. Yeah. I'm reminded of one of your initial comments in the show, which was we tend to shy away from these conversations because we look at them as being costly. And I mean, that's a, that's a great example, isn't it? Let's, let's look at uh, another uh, example. Um, Dr. Cock was disciplined by the medical board for religious convictions. Tell us about that. Yes. So this is a case that's still ongoing. We're currently preparing evidence for it. Um, and we have it before the um, Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal uh, before too long. This involved a doctor who uh, lives in Victoria and basically ran a, uh, a clinical practice as a GP, uh, well, as part of clinical practice as a GP. And he... Um, was very active on social media and would post on a lot of topics uh, ranging a lot of, a lot of the, the, the cultural controversial issues. So he posted a lot on, um, on a conservative Christian political viewpoints. We talk about abortion, we talk about homosexuality, we talk about transgender. Um, uh, yeah. Just to, talking a lot about kind of what's going on in America and, and, and political stuff there. And uh, someone complained. Uh, so an anonymous complainant complaint was made to the medical board. Um, as far as we know, it wasn't from one of his patients, wasn't from one of his colleagues. Uh, just someone saw his social media posts and said, this is unacceptable. Um, it's unacceptable that a, that a doctor can be saying these things. Um, and the medical board basically commenced an investigation and dug through 10 years of his online history. Wow. Hired a private investigator to do it. And uh, then basically got this big brick of thousands of pages of information Put it on the table and said, "We're going to suspend you while we can while we consider um, whether you need, you deserve to be uh, effectively have your registration cancelled um, because of of uh, these views you are expressing and how you're expressing them. We we think you're bringing the medical profession into disrepute. Um, those kinds of issues. And so he he was suspended back in August of uh, 2019, and he's and he has been suspended since. Wow, his livelihood's been completely wiped out." Um, and so he's had to find other ways of supporting his family. And what's happening now is that the way it worked was that this suspension is supposed to be a temporary measure before they finish the investigation. And then they go to the tribunal for the final decision. But they, but they basically got the suspension and then just kind of walked away and didn't deal with it. And he, so he's been suspended just for years mm. now. 
but it's finally going to the tribunal for final determination. And so we're uh, working with um, Dr. Koch to try and get that suspension overturned and, um, and get a good precedent that doctors can express themselves in public uh, about issues of conviction. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one for everybody, I think, and, and social media is, um, there's so many people on social media, Christians uh, or people with conscience or whatever, who do yep. express um, their view and, and get complaints about it. But I, I know one individual who works for a radio station who is um, quite vocal about his Christian views, um, mm-hmm. and, and he gets attacked regularly. Because you know he does take that stand, not to the point where he loses his career, but wow, that's amazing. Mm. Yeah, the, I think I think the big lesson from uh, from Dr. Cox's case is that we we're accustomed, I think, to viewing social media as a private space where we can talk about what we want to talk about, and it doesn't affect the rest of our lives, and that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. So so just before we move on from that, Tom, for for guys listening, because you know there'll be a lot of guys listening right now who do express. Uh, faith, religious views, Christian views, you know, share Bible scriptures, whatever, um, certain things that might be a little controversial or views that might not be the mainstream, shall we say, on social media. What are your thoughts around posting things like that or before we even post things like that, having a think about, do you think there's some parameters that we should think about and adhere to before we just be passionate in sharing our faith on social media? Sure. It comes, I mean, it comes back to, to counting the cost, but um, I would say you have to look at it in two different ways. Uh, it, you, I suppose I would frame it as don't post anything on social media that you would not be happy to have printed out on a table in front of your employer um, to, to discuss. That's good advice. That's not to say that you shouldn't post about what you believe, but in terms of how you do that. Mm. So, so if, if you, if you um, post, you know, I believe blah, 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 blah. Um, my, my response to this event is blah, 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 blah. Um, then if, let's say your employer doesn't like and, and you had to, had to discuss this with them. You'd say, look, that's what I believe. That's my conviction. Hmm. That's, and I want to be open about expressing that. Um, and so that may, there may be consequences, but I'm willing to take them. Whereas if you don't just specify what you believe, but I don't know, um, say something really nasty about someone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. In which your, your convictions are also intertwined there, but you're saying mm. it in a way that you wouldn't necessarily want to defend uh, if, if speaking to that person in public. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's where you could get in trouble, but not necessarily for good reasons. Yeah, no, that's good advice. That's, I mean, I guess the bottom line is think before you post. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it really is that simple. Yeah. yeah. We're chatting with Thomas Grover from HRLA, that's Human Rights Law Alliance, and we're looking at some of the cases that uh, – uh, the, these guys deal with. Thomas, let's move on to the case of Katrina Tate, a professional photographer. Um, she was threatened by activists. Tell us a bit about this case. Yeah, so Katrina Tate is a um, is a, a mother in Queensland, and she um, posted something online about Drag Queen Storytime, uh, which is a film on you may be familiar with. Basically involves drag queens reading to children in, in libraries. Um, and she basically posted and said, I, I, I don't want people like this as role models for my kids. Mm. She, she's, she's a Catholic mother and she, she disagrees with that. And basically she was responded to by a, uh, an activist in New South Wales who said by, by posting this online, 
you have vilified uh, New South uh, homosexual people, um, including myself. And I'm going to um, take you to uh, take you to court over it. Um, and there are and there are other complicated things that this that this this particular person sent. Um, it, it made he made clear like he he sent like a, a proposed media release he was going to send out to people about this case he was running. And in that media release, uh, he obviously had, had had access to her social media feed. Mm. In the media, in the media release, there was included in there a photo of her of her daughter, and she was just oh, just wow. seeing this and uh, very stressed out, and it was an awful experience for her. But basically, the, the problem here is with um, vilification laws, which are a subset of uh, discrimination law, and vilification laws basically operate to stop a person that they they prohibit someone from saying something about somebody. Um, that incites hatred, serious contempt or severe ridicule on the basis of a protected attribute. And in this case, it was sexual orientation. Gender identity is also protected and that's also been applied here and there. But the, basically the way it works is if you think someone's vilified you, you make a complaint to the Human Rights Commission and they'll deal with that for a while and then it will get kind of knocked on to the... Um, to the uh, tribunal in that state. And what we've seen is a whole lot of completely baseless complaints made, just like this one was, completely baseless. She didn't even mention homosexuals. She didn't mm. mention this particular person, uh, in this, this person in particular. Mm. Um, this person was just looking for a fight and looking yeah. to take something to court. And he was able to use these laws and he sent it on to the commission. And the commission you know, is very permissive about what they accept as something they need to look at. And even if it's a completely baseless complaint that's eventually dismissed, Someone can be dragged through these these yeah. processes for for years. Mm. The classic phrase is the process is the punishment. It's a bit connected to this situation uh, for no reason, but just because you express these points of view as, as a uh, as a means to shut people up. Does the reverse work, uh, Tom? Like, for example, can Christians take that same action against the secular world? Would it, would that work? If it if it has worked, I'm yet to hear of it. Uh, okay. um, we we I mean at, at HRLA we have we have a, a, an objection on principle to vilification laws because they have a difference from defamation law, which defamation law you can't say something that damages someone's reputation if it's untrue. Yes. Whereas mm. in vilification laws, it doesn't matter if what you said was absolutely true, you can still be sued over it. So Tom. We're running out of time, so just a couple of last questions for, for the guys listening um, today. In light of some of the cases that we've talked about, um, what do you think men listening can do to become more aware of perhaps issues in their own lives? Um, maybe there have been something highlighted that they're not sure about that's happening in their life or there's some tension at work or whatever it may be. Is it as simple as they get in touch with you guys at HRLA? You know, um, are there other things or places or websites or organizations that you can recommend that guys can get some more information from? Yeah, look, I, I think um, if anyone's, if any of your listeners are experiencing any problems in their workplace or experiencing difficulties about how to express their faith uh, in a potentially hostile environment, um, experiencing conscience issues, anything like that, feel free to get in touch with us. You can get in mm. touch with us uh, through our website. Um, you can email us at info at hrla.org.au. Um, yeah, absolutely get in touch in that way. In terms of um, what your listeners might want to hear in terms of kind of getting more involved, uh, if, if that's part of your question, um, I suppose 
the way you express your faith and the way you get involved publicly is something that we often divorce from our immediate responsibilities. Um, but I think as men, we have responsibility to our family. And I think that needs to be applied not just to ourselves, uh, our, our spouses, our children, but also to our, um, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Mm. What kind of world do we want them to live in? Mm. Um, that's probably the only, the only point I would raise about broader responsibilities yeah. on, these, on this and I think that's a really perfect way to end the show. This is not just about us. This is for the generations to come. What a great chat. What a lot of information in there. And our big thanks to Thomas Grover from HRLA, Human Rights Law Alliance. HRLA.org.au is their website. Again, check out there for more details. And if you feel like you need to get in touch with them, just to run something by them even, uh, by all means, do that. And of course, our website, MomentumAustralia.org. You can hear this chat again and others from the show. But our big thanks again to Thomas Grover. Thomas, really appreciate having on your show, mate. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Momentum a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.